Welcome to the Orthodontics and Summary Podcast, where Farouk brings you the key points and understanding of orthodontic webinars, conferences, and papers in a concise podcast with your host, Farouk Ahmed. Welcome to this episode of Orthodontics in Summary. Now, this podcast is a topic review looking at imaging and AI within orthodontics. It's a summary from this year's American Association of Orthodontics meeting. What we're going to be looking at is CBCTs, looking at the facts, how it can be used in transverse assessment, but also incidental findings, how many typically crop up and what kind of typical things are we looking for. We're also going to look at facial imaging within orthodontics or three-dimensional imaging, non-ionizing, and see how it can be used and applied as a diagnostic tool within orthodontics. Finally, looking at AI, some applications of it within research, but also looking at blockchain technology and how it could have a role within dentistry and orthodontics. Just to recap, the podcast is the opinion piece of myself and the orthodontics and summary team. We try our best to ensure it's accurate, but it may not be 100% representative of the original lecture. Okay, so starting off with CBCTs, this was by Shaza Martini. Now, what she described were the myths. Starting off, CBCTs are new, not true. They were developed in the 1990s as a technology and used in dentistry in 2001. These guys are two decades old now. The second myth is high radiation dose. Well, that was historically true, but times have now changed. And actually, if we aggregate the data from the dosage from a keflogram as well as a panoramic radiograph, it's not too far off. What I could find in the research from Buckley in 2018, it quantifies itself at 46 microserverts as the lowest dosage. Now that's equivalent to a five hour flight. There's some things we can't get away from, and I was really happy that Shaza mentioned this, is that children are more sensitive. Even though the increase in dose is relatively small, they are still sensitive to this small increase. We have to respect the principles of ionizing radiation of Alara, as low as reasonably acceptable whenever it comes to taking out our imaging. The second thing is how accurate are they? Well, when it comes to carrying out measurements, looking at CBCTs and looking at plain 2D radiographs, we find that the accuracy is far greater when it comes to our combing CTs. What does that mean? Well, it means that we are more accurate to making our measurements. Our deviation and errors are far smaller. That was Gregory's paper from 2004. Panograms in itself are problematic when it comes to making measurements. There's a number of papers that show actually it should be used as a screening tool rather than using it as a diagnostic measurement tool. There's a paper by Leon from 2000 that showed that on average, a panogram will overestimate the root length by 22%, a massive error when it comes to making measurements. And this accuracy also has an impact on the assessment of an asymmetry. So, Shazza gave a great example of two twins who came in with increased overjets. After investigations, one had a degenerative condyles and the second just had a retrognathic mandible. And this really features in with the diagnostic criteria when it comes to TMD, which is by RDC from the US, and Eric Schiffman was the lead author, stating that panoramic radiographs should not be used for the assessment of condyles, and CBCTs are a good advent to go forward. On the topic of asymmetries, Ondo Kadyoglu presented the pros and cons of a CBCT versus conventional PA radiographs. And what he showed was actually the inaccuracy of a PA radiograph is apparent in comparison to CBCT. That was Chung's paper from 2013, which recommended no longer using PA KEFs. The question is why? Well, a PA KEF has greater false positives, i.e. an asymmetry can be diagnosed from a PA KEF, which isn't present on the patient's face or present with a CBCT. 
Uh, they also looked at the use of CBCTs and accuracy in diagnosing crossbites. They used measurements from looking at the trifurcations in the maxilla and looking at components in the mandibular, mandibular molars in between the roots. And what they found is that with a 92% degree of accuracy, crossbites could be predicted if there was a discrepancy of 20 millimeters between those two measures. Next was incidental findings with cone beam CTs. Well, how commonly do we find incidental things? Well, actually it's 4.7 incidental findings per CBCT. Now what Ondor did is he broke that down from variation of anatomy, incidental findings, which are okay, and incidental findings which need referral onwards. I thought that was a great way to assess this. Fortunately, majority of the findings from his study showed that there were variations of normal anatomy, around 62%, and only 11% required onwards referral. He produced this fantastic checklist, which I do hope he gets to publish. But I'll give you some examples. Variations of normal anatomy included dilacerations, nasal septal deviations. Now, incidental findings that didn't need any onwards referral were things like retained teeth, mucosal thickening, and idiopathic osteosclerosis. Now, the 11%, the incidental findings that required referral onwards were things like external resorption and ontogenic pathology. Next up was facial imaging, and this was a lecture by William Harrell. He spoke about 3D facial imaging as the sister technology of cone beam CTs. And he also spoke about 4D imaging. So what is that? Well, 4D imaging is essentially video imaging of a patient. And what it allows us to do is to have shape analysis of the patient's structures in a dynamic state. But the focus really was the three-dimensional imaging. And the idea is that can we predict conditions associated with the patient's facial profile from imaging only. They spoke about a paper here from Eastwood in 2019 and what it essentially showed, they looked at patients who had sleep apnea and who did not have sleep apnea and looked at could they predict what factors were at play. And the key findings were that around about 17 to 19% of patients had increased posterior mandibular height, 10 to 13% had increased lateral face height and around 18% had smaller maxillary mandibular relationship angle. Now, it's important to look at that paper in the context of how it was carried out. What they, what they concluded from their results was that they had high sensitivity, i.e. Pe people who had sleep apnea had, this, had these measures of assessment. They had low specificity. So that means that they're diagnosing people who don't have the condition. So translating that, for every four people that were found to have had this condition from the facial assessment process, only one actually had the condition. The conclusion was it's a great screening tool, but in itself is not diagnostic. Now it came to the influence of snoring and facial shapes. This was a really interesting study by Richmond in 2022, so this year's study. And what they found was that the nasal maxillary complex is depressed on the sides of the cheeks. It's narrow and the mandible is down and backwards in position. And these could be responsible for reduced airway space. So now we're starting to look from the outside to see what's actually going on on the inside for patients which is interesting information to come out. However, similar to the Isherwood study, really we want to see what the sensitivity and specificity of this before we start saying, if you have this presentation, you now have this. And finally, coming down to looking at AI and orthodontics. So this was a lecture by Rarasath Parush already. And what they looked at was how we've got big data now as a consequence of having digital, digital driven processes. But there's a problem here in healthcare. Our conventional statistical tests, T-tests, chi-square tests, 
don't work well with this large quantity of data. It amplifies biases and can't deal with nonlinear data. So where does big data analysis really come into the equation of healthcare? It's really looking at discovering new patterns and processes, and also deductive in the nature of how things are progressing. The second component was looking at machine learning. So this is a subcategory of artificial intelligence. Now, what is machine learning? Well, essentially, it's a process of how a machine gets to learn like human beings do. It goes from being supervised, i.e. it gets told what to do, to being unsupervised, it gets information, it works out what to do, to going to this deep learning stage, which essentially mimics a human being. We have different layers of understanding, and we're able to work way, our way through into real-world problems. So where's machine learning within orthodontics? Well, there's a few attempts to utilize it. One has been looking at growth prediction and treatment planning. Now, when it comes to this, there was a great scoping review by Piju in 2021 in Progress of Orthodontics. What they showed was that around 75% accuracy has been associated with machine learning when it comes to predicting growth, which isn't great. But this actually was a study from back in the 1990s, so it's quite an old study. Other accuracies when it comes to machine learning, when it comes to canine eruption, it's around 88% predictive, which is great. When it comes to looking at extractions and treatment planning, actually 94% accuracy when it comes to predicting extractions and clinicians carrying out extractions. So I thought this was a really interesting process. And actually machine learning now has, and AI has 21 publications within orthodontics. When it comes to looking at AI and craniofacial genomes, this is the idea that although we diagnose from a phenotypic thing, i.e. how the patient looks and what we physically see, we can get information from the patient's genome itself. And this is where AI is working well. And we have some information already, but already from 2019, the person who gave the lecture, looking at biological markers and tooth movement and the predictability through that process. The final thing which was really exciting was looking at blockchain technology, things we normally associate with cryptocurrency. But the premise here in healthcare is that it could be involved in changing from looking at institutions managing patients to actually having a patient-centric approach. What does this mean? I.e. the patient's data is held somewhere else. So as a patient goes from one healthcare interaction to another, that blockchain of healthcare information follows them. So we'll then get an incredible quantity of data, not even including what treatment they've had, but what materials were used for them, and the quality of the materials that were used throughout their entire lives. I think that's a really exciting advent that can really help our healthcare for patients. A quick update for me. A few weeks ago, I had the fortune to travel to see Bjorn Ludwig about a new material for direct-to-printer liners. I've managed to put that information together and published it now as a blog, uh, Orthodontics in Review blog. Uh, so please do check that out to find out more information about it. There'll be more things following on that stream, looking at both courses and also products within Orthodontics, giving you my independent impartial information on that. Bjorn is running the course again if you're interested in a few months' time. I have no involvement or financial interest, but I thought it was a good course. As always, please do subscribe and look forward to the next episode.